I'm Amy, and you're listening to the Creativity Matters Podcast. Today on the Creativity Matters Podcast, a little bit about trees and a special holiday reading. Although this one has a moral and a sentiment that works anytime. Here we go. You're listening to the CMP, a Creativity Matters Podcast. Stories of creative journey and a reminder that creativity matters in whatever form it takes for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Creativity Matters Podcast. I'm Amy, and this is episode 285, Holiday Reading. It is morning as I get ready for this, and this is the first morning of my own break, my own winter break. And I am so incredibly glad for this break. I need it desperately. The days of December have felt off and timing. I've been struggling to keep my creative threads intact. There has been the threat of a hospitalization in my house. There has been too much work as we spiral toward the new year. Today is a Friday and it feels like a Saturday. I got up this morning and I turned on the tree lights and then I sat in the dark with my words. Light from the tree in the dark is one of my favorite pleasures, but it only sinks in during moments like this, moments of quiet, early morning, a stillness, the day still all packed up in a little ball and being held at bay before it begins to unfold. The sky outside lightened this morning imperceptibly. While I sat with my thoughts on my keyboard, I suddenly realized the room was light. The window showing full daylight outside. I missed my moment of morning light in the kitchen. It was too dark when I got my first cup, and I sat through the moment when I would have seen it getting a second. But I had these moments with other light. The glisten of light on the glass ornaments. The glow off the bulbs. It is all a matter of perspective. Someone asked me last week, do you do a tree? And yes, we do a tree, an artificial tree. And in that moment, that wasn't really the expected answer. That's not the cool answer. The cool kids don't do artificial trees, but we do and always have. And this tree is many years old now. And each year, it seems that one or more strand of lights no longer lights. This year, two strands didn't light And we added a few new strands on top, masking the problem, making do. This is a tree that is starting to feel like everything else, a testament to making do and getting by and making it work. But in the dark of morning, it doesn't matter how many additional strands are there to make it happen. It is just pretty. And yes, these ornaments have a history. Yes, traditions were once very strong. I was driving two older teens back from something a few weeks ago, and I asked about Charlie Brown's Christmas. I had asked my younger son in advance of this if he remembered the show, and I told him, I said, be careful how you answer, because if you don't remember it, then we need to watch it, because Everyone needs that image of that tree in their hearts and heads in that car ride. While Charlie Brown wasn't 
remembered? Mr. Willoughby's Christmas tree was. And both kids in the car that day knew the story and remembered being read that story when they were little. And that was a surprise. It was a surprise to me that both of these teenagers knew the story. It was always a favorite in our house because of its whimsy. Improbable, yes, totally, but so magical, so whimsical. And I said, you know, it would not work. We know it wouldn't work. And yet we still love reading about this tree that gets cut off and passed on and cut off again and passed on and cut off again and passed on so that everyone can make do out of the plenty that exists. We know no one ends up with a pointed tree, though. That's the improbable part. And the boys both stopped and they thought about it older and wiser now. And it was such a fascinating moment. It really was. It was a fascinating moment to watch them think about it and think, oh, yeah. Although I'm pretty sure we had this conversation when my kids were little and we would read it because we like to talk about things like that. It is still a charming book. I haven't looked at it in years. I haven't thought about it in years. Maybe you can say it works. The tree reaching all the way to the top of your space and then being lopped off whatever's left at the top and passed on to someone else and it goes all the way to the top of their space and they lop it off and pass it on, maybe you wouldn't really notice the lack of a true top. It makes me laugh to think about it. And it makes me smile to remember all those books and stories and time spent reading together. Last year on the CMP, I read The Velveteen Rabbit as a special show. And I hope you will go back and listen again or listen anew. It is a timeless reading and a timeless story. The story of being real and becoming real and being so loved that you are real. This year, I wanted to read something again. And I contemplated choices, what I could read, what is public domain, what might work, what might be universal enough that many of you might enjoy it. I know not everyone celebrates the same holiday, not everyone celebrates Christmas, not everyone has the same traditions, not everyone has the same affinity for December or for any of these things that happen in December. And the story I picked is really a classic, but at the end it does have a very religious moment, and it is a Christmas-themed story. But I hope that doesn't really put you off. I hope that if you're a listener, you still listen, because this is a classic story of giving, of generosity, of love. This is a timeless story. This is a story that I was taught back when I was a student, and I don't know if it's taught now or not. I haven't heard or thought of it in years but it came up time and again as one of the very few choices of public domain texts for this time of year. I don't know that it will have the same resonance as Velveteen Rabbit. We will see. I didn't read through it completely first. I'm going to read this cold, but I hope you will enjoy it. And you know what it is, right? You know, just by listening to what I said, you know exactly what this is. I'm going to read The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry. The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry. $1.87. That was all. She had put it aside. One cent and then another and then another in her careful buying of meat and other food. Della counted it three times. $1.87. And the next day, 
would be Christmas. There was nothing to do but fall on the bed and cry, so Della did it. While the lady of the home is slowly growing quieter, we can look at the home. Furnished rooms at a cost of $8 a week. There is little more to say about it. In the hall below was a letter box too small to hold a letter. There was an electric bell, but it could not make a sound. Also, there was a name beside the door, Mr. James Dillingham Young. When the name was placed there, Mr. James Dillingham Young was being paid $30 a week. Now, when he was being paid only $20 a week, the name seemed too long and important. It should perhaps have been Mr. James D. Young. But when Mr. James Dillingham Young entered the furnished rooms, his name became very short indeed. Mrs. James Dillingham Young put her arms warmly about him and called him Jim. You have already met her. She is Della. Della finished her crying and cleaned the marks of it from her face. She stood by the window and looked out with no interest. Tomorrow would be Christmas Day, and she had only $1.87 with which to buy Jim a gift. She had put aside as much as she could for months with this result. $20 a week is not much. Everything had cost more than she had expected. It always happened like that. Only $1.87 to buy a gift for Jim. Her Jim. She had had many happy hours planning something nice for him. Something nearly good enough. Something almost worth the honor of belonging to Jim. There was a looking glass between the windows of the room. Perhaps you have seen the kind of looking glass that is placed in $8 furnished rooms. It was very narrow. A person could see only a little of himself at a time. However, if he was very thin and moved very quickly, he might be able to get a good view of himself. Della, being quite thin, had mastered this art. Suddenly, she turned from the window and stood before the glass. Her eyes were shining brightly, but her face had lost its color. Quickly, she pulled down her hair and let it fall to its complete length. The James Dillingham Youngs were very proud of two things which they owned. One thing was Jim's gold watch. It had once belonged to his father, and long ago it had belonged to his father's father. The other thing was Della's hair. If a queen had lived in the rooms near theirs, Della would have washed and dried her hair where the queen could see it. Della knew her hair was more beautiful than any queen's jewels and gifts. If a king had lived in the same house with all his riches, Jim would have looked at his watch every time they met. Jim knew that no king had anything so valuable. So now Della's beautiful hair fell about her, shining like a falling stream of brown water. It reached below her knee. It almost made itself into a dress for her. And then she put it up on her head again, nervously and quickly. Once she stopped for a moment and stood still, while a tear or two ran down her face. She put on her old brown coat. She put on her old brown hat. With the bright light still in her eyes, she moved quickly out the door and down to the street. Where she stopped, the sign said, Mrs. Sophroni, hair articles of all kinds. Up to the second floor, Della ran and stopped to get her breath. Mrs. Sophroni, large, too white, cold-eyed, looked at her. Will you buy my hair? asked Della. I buy hair, 
said Mrs. Saffroni. Take your hat off and let me look at it. Down fell the beautiful waterfall. Twenty dollars, said Mrs. Saffroni, lifting the hair to feel its weight. Give it to me quick, said Della. Oh, and the next two hours seemed to fly. She was going from one shop to another to find a gift for Jim. She found it at last. It surely had been made for Jim and no one else. There was no other like it in any of the shops, and she had looked in every shop in the city. It was a gold watch chain, very simply made. Its value was in its rich and pure material. Because it was so plain and simple, you knew that it was very valuable. All good things are like this. It was good enough for the watch. As soon as she saw it, she knew that Jim must have it. It was like him, quietness and value. Jim and the chain both had quietness and value. She paid $21 for it. And she hurried home with the chain and 87 cents. With that chain on his watch, Jim could look at his watch and learn the time anywhere he might be. Though the watch was so fine, it had never had a fine chain. He sometimes took it out and looked at it, only when no one could see him do it. When Della arrived home, her mind quieted a little. She began to think more reasonably. She started to try to cover the sad marks of what she had done. Love and large-hearted giving, when added together, can leave deep marks. It is never easy to cover these marks, dear friends. Never easy. Within 40 minutes, her head looked a little better. With her short hair, she looked wonderfully like a schoolboy. She stood at the looking glass for a long time. If Jim doesn't kill me, she said to herself before he looks at me a second time, he'll say I look like a girl who sings and dances for money. But what could I do? Oh, what could I do with a dollar and 87 cents? At seven, Jim's dinner was ready for him. Jim was never late. Della held the watch chain in her hand and sat near the door where he always entered. Then she heard his step in the hall, and her face lost color for a moment. She often said little prayers quietly about simple, everyday things. And now, she said, Please, God, make him think I'm still pretty. The door opened and Jim stepped in. He looked very thin, and he was not smiling. Poor fellow. He was only 22 and with a family to take care of. He needed a new coat, and he had nothing to cover his cold hands. Jim stopped inside the door. He was as quiet as a hunting dog when it is near a bird. His eyes looked strangely at Della, and there was an expression in them that she could not understand. It filled her with fear. It was not anger, nor surprise, nor anything she had been ready for. He simply looked at her with that strange expression on his face. Della went to him. Jim, dear, she cried, don't look at me like that. I had my hair cut off and sold it. I couldn't live through Christmas without giving you a gift. My hair will grow again. You won't care, will you? My hair grows very fast. It's Christmas, Jim. Let's be happy. You don't know what a nice, what a beautiful, nice gift I got for you. You've cut off your hair? Asked Jim slowly. He seemed to labor to understand what had happened. He seemed not to feel sure he knew. Cut it off and sold it, said Della. Don't you like me now? I'm me, Jim. I'm the same without my hair. Jim looked around the room. You say your hair is gone, he said. 
You don't have to look for it, said Della. It's sold, I tell you. Sold and gone, too. It's the night before Christmas, boy. Be good to me because I sold it for you. Maybe the hairs of my head could be counted, she said. But no one could ever count my love for you. Shall we eat dinner, Jim? Jim put his arms around his Della. For ten seconds, let us look in another direction. Eight dollars a week or a million dollars a year. How different are they? Someone may give you an answer, but it will be wrong. The Magi brought valuable gifts, but that was not among them. My meaning will be explained soon. From inside the coat, Jim took something tied in paper. He threw it upon the table. I want you to understand me, Dell, he said. Nothing like a haircut could make me love you any less. But if you'll open that, you may know what I felt when I came in. White fingers pulled off the paper, and then a cry of joy, and then a change to tears. For there lay the combs, the combs that Della had seen in a shop window and loved for a long time. Beautiful combs with jewels, perfect for her beautiful hair. She had known they cost too much for her to buy them. She had looked at them without the least hope of owning them, and now they were hers. But her hair was gone. But she held them to her heart, and at last she was able to look up and say, My hair grows so fast, Jim. And then she jumped up and cried, Oh, oh, Jim had not yet seen his beautiful gift. She held it out to him in her open hand. The gold seemed to shine softly, as if with her own warm and loving spirit. Isn't it perfect, Jim? I hunted all over town to find it. You'll have to look at your watch a hundred times a day now. Give me your watch. I want to see how they look together. Jim sat down and smiled. Della, he said, let's put our Christmas gifts away and keep them a while. They're too nice to use now. I sold the watch to get the money to buy the combs. And now I think we should have our dinner. The Magi, as you know, were wise men, wonderfully wise men, who brought gifts to the newborn Christ child. They were the first to give Christmas gifts. Being wise, their gifts were doubtless wise ones. And here I have told you the story of two children who were not wise. Each sold the most valuable thing he owned in order to buy a gift for the other. But let me speak a last word to the wise of these days. Of all who give gifts, these two were the most wise. Of all who give and receive gifts, such as they are the most wise. Everywhere, they are the wise ones. They are the Magi. I am the art. The art is me. Oh, there is something about that story. Really interesting and really interesting to read it now. To read it both at this point in my own life and at this point in our history in our society, in our world, with everything that has gone on this year and everything that stands to change and everything that is constantly being threatened. What an interesting story to read. I hope you enjoyed it. It is much shorter, actually, than I thought. Very, very short indeed, and yet poignant. Pretty sure that might be the story by which I learned the word irony. Maybe. For some reason, I think that may be the case. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it gives you something to think about and 
a soft spot for those two who each gave up the most important thing he or she owned out of love and as a way of making do. As always, I'm Amy, and you can reach me at creativitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. The show notes are available on the creativitymatterspodcast.com website. The music I play is courtesy of Nikolai Heidless. You can find me at Twitter as oamyoamy, and you can find me in the Creativity Matters podcast group at Facebook. Thank you to those of you who support the Creativity Matters podcast at Patreon. You can find out more about that and making a small monthly donation at Patreon at patreon.com slash creativity matters. Support from the few of you who use Patreon has made a tremendous difference this year in how I feel about the show and the outlook for this show. So I very much appreciate that. Until next time, remember that creativity matters in whatever form it takes for you. And don't forget to breathe. Have a great week, everyone. 